Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards like, some greater purpose? We are the only DJ crazy enough to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with extended clip. Do you have a preference on which movie you want to talk about first? Um, I guess maybe Texas Chainsaw makes more sense to go first, but I'm not sure. Okay, no, I'm fine with that. You guys okay with that? Sounds groovy to me. I'm going to have to make a, a veto here. No, I'm just <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> just, I just can't go like that. No. Yeah. Um, Malcolm's always yeah. the contrarian of the podcast. What? Finding that's, a way. That's not... That's not true. <laughs> to pretend he has opinions that he doesn't. What? You're the that's alphabetical the order guy. <laughs> alphabetical order. I don't know what time. the fuck Eddie's talking about right now. This is some fucking bullshit slander on my name. So I wouldn't take anything he says too seriously. Welcome to Extended <laughs> Clip. It's episode 111. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum. I'm JT White. And calling in, uh, or really zooming in, all the way from podcast about list uh, is our friend cameron what's up man welcome to the show what's up thanks for having me of course i was uh i was off mic in the uh in the office while you were telling them where you were so i didn't know where to like the the proper introduction or anything like that but i think just like as a as a podcaster that's a title you must take pride in yeah you know welcome as an intro (laughs) definitely yeah when you know whenever when my podcast fails, you know, I'll be handing my resume to the next job and that's all it's going to say on there. Podcaster. <laughs> that's all you need, really. And you got two references built in right there. Exactly. You know? yeah. <laughs> Our double feature this week is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 or the Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 uh, by Toby Hooper from 1986 and The House of a Thousand Corpses by Rob Zombie from 2003. Uh, Both returning champions, Rob Zombie and Toby Hooper, uh, people whose films we've talked about on the pod and loved. But Cameron, why was it uh, these two films in particular you wanted to bring? Uh, Well, they're both movies I like. So that's the, (laughs) that was the first thing. Um, But I think they also, they have a pretty, they're pretty fun to look at together um, with, you know, Texas Chainsaw 2 being kind of like this, weird um like amplification of a lot of the elements of texas chainsaw one and then house of a thousand corpses i feel like does the same thing but just like even further so i think it's a just a fun fun two things to look at together yeah i mean texas chainsaw obviously a very like brooding film and also kind of you know light on gore for a horror film of its stature uh and then both of these movies just like find the fun in it and uh, have a ton of fun with it and introduce a lot more gore and humor. And I love both movies for that. Um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, I think we had all seen this other than JT. Uh, you you had just rewatched the first Texas Chainsaw late last, n- last night? Um, yeah, about then. Okay. Yeah. Well, was- you can crush me if you want. <laughs> <laughs> hey, JT, when was it really that you, that you watched that fucking movie? Um, well, I watched it last night because I think the first time I saw it was like freshman year of college on like a very tiny TV and I was dismissive. I didn't like it. Uh, or I, I liked it some, but not nearly as much as I loved it this time around. Uh, fake movie fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I was curious to see what the second one was all about. And this is also really great. Surprise, yeah. surprise. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to overstate the, I guess, the tonal whiplash between the first two Texas Chainsaw Massacres to people who don't know. But uh, it really does become a horror comedy movie in the sequel starring uh, podcast friend Dennis Hopper, of all people. And we've talked about other like horror not just horror, but movies that center around uh, or use radio shows as kind of a, a way in with genre movies, uh, even a Rob Zombie film like that, The Lords of Salem. And uh, so, yeah, I think this is another one in that canon of great you know, representation of what we do. Mm-hmm. as you know people on this show contributing to society they say you know oh you're just watching movies all the time i think some of these movies show that we can contribute something even Absolutely. if it's just getting killed yeah no i mean the movie talk radio it shows that this is this is not an easy profession at all there's a lot of dangerous weirdos out there listening you know they got their ear straight up to the speaker and yeah it's it's just yeah. uh we kind of Putting ourselves out there. So, uh, you know, I hope we remain safe. Yeah, I often feel like the character from Eric Bogosian's talk radio, you know, just being chased around by neo-Nazis all around town, calling into my show every week. <laughs> I, I hop into my own podcast Discord and I'm being attacked, you know, by these... Re- no, not really. Uh, <laughs> Texas Chainsaw 2, though, it opens on this great, like, uh, highway, kind of like hot dog and chase scene where these two high school seniors pumped up to go to UT Hook'em Horns next year. Uh, they're just like taunting people on the road. And then once in a while, when you're taunting people in Texas, you're going to come across the Texas Chainsaw family, uh, which is a pretty great way to reintroduce them. You see Leatherface like uh, like pop up onto the hood of, or onto the roof of the car uh, during that chase sequence. And he's like holding another body in front of him. And there's so much great play with those absolute dumb, like teenage jock kind of guys just <laughs> yeah. getting brutally owned. There's a beautiful decapitation with like the, these great Tom Savini special effects with blood, like, uh, you know, two like fountains of blood in each direction. And it's a way to kind of mark the film as be- being so different from the first one like within that first scene you know yeah and i have to say too that's uh, the the um the like jock guy rick the prick is incredible incredible like tiny character that's like my favorite one of my favorite just like little bit parts in him because he's wearing those like insane glasses too and he just has like a gun that he's waving around (laughs) the whole time and his name is rick the prick so cool. <laughs> you know, he, he can't just come up it's on this road trip here, but you got to figure those four years of high school were pretty fucking sick <laughs> yeah, up until this point. Know, yeah. if, he's, if he's acting like that, just yeah. running around shooting <laughs> shit. It's like, well, I think that is, you know, uh, well, at least the first Texas Chainsaw it takes place around the same time, like Dazed and Confused takes place. And I like to think, yeah, some of those guys who were really riding high in Dazed and Confused, that could be a very uh, prick-like hey, character. Be careful, be careful who you bully in high school you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) might catch him on the road later but yeah it's just like uh right away very funny introducing the idea of like the chili cookout being participated in the family (laughs) (laughs) and just that chili cookout uh trophy with chili pouring out of it is so fucking nasty (laughs) no it is it is funny like uh i think yeah right off the bat there's like elements like the chili competition or i feel like 
you see leather. Uh, I was gonna call him a leather saw, but uh, <laughs> you see leather uh, leather face like do a jig almost every t- in every oh, scene. He has like so a chainsaw, sick. but it, like at at the same time, rewatching this movie as zany as it is, like there's something grounded in a way in like how kind of like much time you spend in each location. Like that that first like radio station scene it feels like it's like about half hour it feels like it's like a good chunk of the movie and then even though kind of like the underworld meat processing plant that this you know the uh the leatherface family has it's still you spending time in these places there's plenty of comedy to be had but it's still like he's still firing on, on that horror front too i would say absolutely yeah i love too at the beginning of it that it's still it starts with like a like uh, the same, a similar like narration thing to the first one, but it's it's like so much more just overblown and, and ridiculous too. Like Texas lawmen mounted a month long manhunt, but could not locate the macabre farmhouse. They could find no killers and no victims, no facts, no crime. Officially, on the records, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre never happened. But during the last thirteen years, over and over again, reports of bizarre, grisly chainsaw mass murders have persisted all across the state of Texas. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre has not stopped. It haunts Texas. It seems to have no end. Which is, like, so (laughs) fucking sick. Like, just (laughs) genuinely so cool. Like, what I love about it is that it it introduces, or not even introduces, because there is some, like, comedy, I feel like, in the original. But, you know, the comedy is way more to the forefront. But it's not like it's, like a comedy now like it also the horror is also still get it like it's pretty it's pretty horrible too there's a lot of there's a lot of fucked up stuff that happens that's like very distressing yeah i mean i think it's that combination of adding more comedy and adding more gore that like really kicks this into overdrive and you know it also has that pure like dread of the first one there's a lot of longer drawn out scenes uh like when stretch first finds herself in that underground uh you know maze of a place where they work and live and leatherface is kind of hiding her for about 15 minutes it feels like and there's not really too many laughs to be had other than in the leatherface physicality uh but in speaking of the physicality yeah malcolm that jig you mentioned so incredible it's like you take that insane uh like balletic balletic is that how you would say that yeah definitely Uh, the ending of the first texas chainsaw when he does that little dance and raises the chainsaw to the sky and then in this one it just turns into him raising the chainsaw (laughs) over the sky and like doing like a donkey kong style move kind of And it's awesome because he's still just as menacing. Uh, that first time he crashes through the wall at the radio station, like it, it's a more forceful, impactful character rather than a mysterious, uh, like dreadful one in the first one. Yeah. He also, another another thing about Leatherface that makes him like, I think just as like creepy, because I think that he doesn't, you know, I don't think he has as much of the, the just, pure dread associated with him in this like he still is kind of just like he's a bad guy instead of like a capital b bad guy you know what i mean like instead of like a Mm -hmm. cosmic thing but the the scene when he breaks into the radio station he like corners stretch and they just cut they like they just bring the phallic stuff just like right up to the surface (laughs) they like make it completely literal and it's like it's very funny but it's also like so upsetting and uncomfortable to to watch you know 
it's like such a good such a good mixture of like you know making making Leatherface kind of this like pathetic character who's like oh he's he just wants pussy all along actually <laughs> but then it's also like that makes him so much more creepy too yeah <laughs> yeah I think I mean another moment like where it really juggles those tones really well I think Eddie you mentioned where uh, Leatherface is kind of hiding stretch and like there it goes from that segment where she's like wearing her friend's face and like a cowboy hat to like oh like bringing home the girlfriend to dinner style comedy there and it's just so fantastic that jumps between those two points no you know speaking on the the soda sex scene eddie you know one of the people here he loves soda so much and i kind of peeked over and he was getting a little hot and bothered under I think the collar he was crying because because it was uh because of all the soda getting spilled and you know just the yeah, just it was a little bit overwhelming for him. I I get it. I get it. I, I mean, I was I was almost there myself. You know, <laughs> almost there. That's right. Uh, yeah. No, the scene being described, of course, like uh, the the way that she calms down uh, Leatherface when he's about to kill her is kind of eroticizing the situation. But like her legs, yes, the chainsaw is going directly into them, but they're also spread over a bucket of sodas on ice, and so Leatherface is just chainsawing into the sodas and the ice and there's just soda flying everywhere (laughs) and it's it's great it's just like a different kind of texture to bring to this movie that is so full of disgusting weird textures um i i think that the literalization of the phallic stuff too like it it feels kind of like a response i mean by that point the basic like you know, gender theory film uh, criticism stuff had been written uh, about slasher movies. And it's funny because he does kind of like play into it like a little and then just makes it as ludicrous as possible, kind of. And he kind of does that in uh, another one that we talked about, Toby Hooper's The Fun House. The monster in that one that lives under the fun house is kind of very similar to Leatherface's uh, approach with the ladies in this movie. It's nothing nothing scarier than a man who needs pussy, you know what I mean? (laughs) Who's out on the prowl, you know? It, uh... (laughs) And it it is funny because uh, how it kind of takes it to like you know a very like childish or I guess like uh, almost teenagerish place where like he has to deal with his brother and his dad kind of getting in the way or whatever, being like, oh, he's never brought a girl home before. Bubba's been playing with her. Bubba likes her. Bubba's got a girlfriend. 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 Is that what this is, Bubba? The old cock and cut swindle. Hi. S-C-E-X. Sex. Hey, you had to find out about it, didn't you? You just couldn't leave it alone. You wanted to know about it, but oh, bad. Why didn't you ask me? You, you want to know about it? You want to know about it? Ask me. It has like uh, Leatherface making like some Jim Halpert faces at the camera, <laughs> being like, "This is my life." My he dad mugs so hard in yeah. that. It's so funny when his dad is judging him for the girlfriend, and he's just kind of looking back and forth, and you kind of see his eyes darting back and forth under the Leatherface mask. Is probably the funniest thing in the movie for me. Especially, it's it's so escalated by the fact that the horror and like the at at that point really the suspense of Hopper closing in as Dennis Hopper is just like changing. <laughs> sawing his way through this underground tunnel it's all building to this great climax but that's just the goofiest comedy beat in the movie so it works yeah. so well for me there 
I think what you're saying too about it like feeling like a response I totally agree with that like I think a lot of stuff in this movie kind of feels like Toby like looked at the response to the first one and was like well you know what like I'm actually gonna like make a movie that is what you say this one is like you know I'm gonna like actually put a lot of gore and a bunch of like stupid sex stuff like there's even like like um when when the cook says to Leatherface, like, you got one choice, boy, sex or the saw? Sex is, well, nobody knows, but the saw, <laughs> the saw is family. Like, that literally just feels like that was written to just be, like, a quote in, like, a Carol Clover essay. You know what I mean? Like, that Like that feels like he's like, yeah, here it is. There you go. <laughs> yeah, no, sex mm-hmm. or the saw would definitely be, like, the, the headline of Carol Clover's Texas Chainsaw 2 update. Like, yeah, no, exactly. No doubt about it. <laughs> and I know famously, I think he did not want to make a sequel to Texas Chainsaw for a while. And so, like, I think he eventually came to a place in his filmmaking career it's like okay this is the next movie i'm gonna be offered so like well it's yeah. actually it, it yeah. kind of lines up like that like yeah. he didn't want to make one for a while but then he had the idea of doing one as a black yeah. comedy and he wanted to fund it by himself and he couldn't which is why mm. he had to reach out to uh canon you know the sleaze maestros themselves known for you know such disgusting films as uh john cassavetti's love streams and uh john luke godard's king lear uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know among billions of uh, sleazy movies but uh so apparently they were also golem and globus were also not too happy with what he turned in also (laughs) but uh he made it on his terms completely like under their nose yeah respect you know also just thinking about the dennis hopper character it is kind of funny how like ineffective he is or whatever he's just getting like oh, as a cop yeah or just yeah. or just in the whole movie like he's just like he comes through he has his objective gets like drunk in his hotel room and then just takes a lot the longest fucking way to the to you know the meat factory or whatever and then just kind of die like he gets his licks in for sure but then like dies 10 minutes later in the movie and, and like yeah. like you have like five scenes of dennis hopper just tearing through terrains with chainsaws being like they can't do this. Like, bring yeah. <laughs> it all out. Bring it all out. Bury the devil. Be the Lord have mercy on our soul. Yeah, the scene in the uh, chainsaw store is great too. Where <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> money on the table first and then just picks out three chainsaws dual wields a couple of them and just freaks out the employee <laughs> who then like toward the end of the scene the employee seems like he's entranced by this he's just yeah. so into it it's so weird but yeah i like that they use dennis hopper's quest through this tunnel of just <laughs> chainsawing everything he sees as like the easy thing to cut away to and then cut back to uh stretch with the family uh including the family dinner which is what, you know, I said that uh, Leatherface mugging when they find out about his girlfriend is the goofiest thing in the movie, but I don't know if it's goofy, but the hardest I've laughed in a long time, uh, as these two can probably attest to, is the bucket scene when Grandpa's trying to hit Stretch with the uh, <laughs> hammer and get her head into the bucket, I guess, and he just can't even drop the hammer on her every time he lifts the hammer he just drops it uh behind him and uh, then he's just throwing the hammer and missing hitting the rim and it's just very funny to me i don't yeah. know why which is also like that's like that that is the most upsetting scene in the original too yeah. 
So yeah, it's so it's one. so fun that it's like the funniest scene in the second one. <laughs> one like detail I thought was funny is that there's just like a Tabasco bottle, like on, <laughs> on, on the t- on the family dinner table that like looks like cleaner than than everything else. Just yeah. a nice Tabasco. There's also in the like the dinner scene when they have they have like all the like sculptures made out of bones and stuff, mm-hmm. and then they have on they have like a Doctor Strange love like skeleton <laughs> riding like a missile, which is so bizarre yeah. and out of place. Like I just don't understand why they picked that that movie to reference there yeah it's weird because they they start keying into some like post nom stuff where he wants to turn that amusement park that they took over into nom world yeah and, oh, uh, the brother keeps saying Chopped. that yeah oh chopped top is hilarious the in this. best I, I mean yeah. fucking uh, music is my life is yeah, like my motto so after seeing fucking this. funny <laughs> <laughs> and he just starts you know, yelling just nom flashback nom flashback <laughs> <laughs> that thing he was doing with the hanger where he'd heat it up and scratches his head like that Loki. yeah you're saying feel, that would feel good that might feel kind of good you know what i mean like <laughs> i think it might, might yeah yeah no because it's like it's a it's a better scratch than usual like you're getting a little deeper or whatever i don't <laughs> right. know not something you want to do all the time but like i don't know <laughs> i don't know once in a while yeah exactly just get the dead skin off there yeah next week i'm just gonna just Malcolm's gonna be at my door just with a Bic lighter and a fucking <laughs> um, as it gets into the climax and you know Dennis Hopper shows up it it gets into some really nasty action like it's it's pretty awesome there's there's a great saw fight between Leatherface and Dennis Hopper and then during that saw fight grandpa brings up the strength to do a pretty long range hammer throw that like Dennis Hopper dodges and it hits Leatherface in the head and he falls and the impact from him on the floor below uh, makes the cook drop the grenade he was holding which leads to <laughs> the total destruction uh, while Stretch and Chop Top fight it out up top at that amusement park like a Matterhorn you know uh, ride finale and uh, that that scene's awesome too because it really loses all kind of goofy pretenses and goes into full-on kind of final girl uh, slasher mode really effectively of course because it's Toby Hooper you also just seen like like the that huge underground thing they got going on the meat factory as I've been calling it like that's such impressive production design just how like fucking huge that is like the scale of that of just like just like fucking like junk filled catacombs and like just guts and random rooms it's really it's really an impressive feat yeah there's like it's one of those things where there's just like details everywhere too like i mean just every single scene that's in the that's in that like underground place there's just like a thousand skeletons in the background that are like (laughs) built into like different shapes and stuff it's so crazy one of my favorite elements of the production design is when Dennis Hopper's first checking it out and there's that painting with blood coming out of the eye. And then when he breaks through the wall, it's just like the hugest yeah. bucket of guts coming out. <laughs> yeah. And he says, it's the devil's playground. <laughs> when he <says> that. <laughs> that is a good way to use Hopper in a movie. It just kind of like have him in a room alone saying things. Yeah. You know yeah. Freaking I mean? out. Exactly. <laughs> just go isolation mode real quick. He could carry the movie for a minute. Yeah. I like when he first shows up too, because the other cops that are there are just like, ah, oh, this fucking guy's here again. Gonna mess everything up. And you have to imagine that since the events of the first Texas Chainsaw, he's just been fucking up crime scenes all over Texas thinking that it's those guys <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> getting drunk. <laughs> 
Uh, JT, a- any final thoughts on this one before we wrap it up? Give it a score of one to five chainsaws. Okay. Or, okay. I'm I'm gonna give it a uh, four chainsaws. I don't know. Under normal circumstances, I might have scoffed uh, with Dr- at Drayton Sawyer's uh, libertarian ideals <laughs> that the small business owner is getting fucked in the ass at every end. But after COVID, I don't know. This guy, <laughs> he might be on to something. I'm taking a look at our Patreon numbers, and I'm, I'm starting to uh, I'm starting to side with him. Yeah, exactly. The family business owner is always screwed. And uh, I don't know. Uh, Texas Chainsaw 2, like does that like really delicate balance between horror and comedy so well and then sometimes just like occupies like a space that's just mostly uncomfortable like all the sexual stuff like it's somewhere between honey uh, horrifying (laughs) (laughs) horrifying (laughs) horrifying and funny um but yeah it was great Malcolm, <laughs> get your mind out sorry, of the gutter. What I mean, but we're talking about we're talking know, about that I know, stuff. but we don't <laughs> we don't invoke our I'm co-hosts sorry. personal. Well, I, it was just yeah affairs. Hey man, you don't need to overflow this. <laughs> um, I'm gonna give it four chainsaws as well. Yeah, this is. I mean, in in addition, like to it just being like you know the balance between comedy and horror, it's just like much more excessive too. Like that's, I think that's why it could kind of like it feels like uncomfortable and kind of like overwhelming in a way just because it is like like yeah there's a sparsity to the original that obviously is contrasted here and uh yeah i don't know it's like a very well measured film too like i said like kind of like like it spending a lot of time in like certain locations and kind of like using every single like room and corner in that location or whatever it's just kind of a i don't know you really get the scope of everywhere you're at and yeah, it's uh, Toby Hooper with another, you know, solid movie. So I enjoyed it. How yeah. about you, Eddie? I mean, every kind of uh, horrifying, gross, funny, and suspenseful beat kind of builds uh, from one another. It's just like, it makes me feel insane almost watching this. I almost had to restrain my laughter to not embarrass myself in front of you two boys. <laughs> you but can I, laugh in front of us. It's okay to laugh. It's okay, man. We wouldn't, we wouldn't think lesser of you or anything like that. Uh, and I, I, I think the way that Hooper's uh, camera goes through this really intricate production design is uh, no, nothing to nothing to sneeze at. There's a lot of like weird nooks and crannies that he explores uh, in that underground world. And uh, yeah, I, I just think it's a beautiful movie. So I'm gonna go four and a half chainsaws. And Cameron, uh, you you brought this movie to us. What, what what do you think about it? Yeah, I you know I'm also gonna go four and a half chainsaws on this. I think. To me, like this is the way that you do a sequel to a movie that wasn't like written to have a sequel like in mind already. Like I think this is like a a sequel masterclass, if you will. Like I think that what you do is, you know, you have you have to have some kind of shift in it, um, instead of just doing the same thing again. And I think this does it like perfectly. Like it's like it's such a it's I don't think it's as good of a movie as um Texas Chainsaw, but I think it it the way that it like improves in some ways and and it doesn't improve in other ways i think is 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 just incredible like uh the it, the tone shift is is like just crazy good i love i love the because the 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 comedy is there in texas chainsaw i like i think at least there's a lot there are moments where you like you laugh but you're it it all it feels like you're not supposed to laugh though and then this one is like okay this time you're gonna feel like you're supposed to laugh and i think that 
it's very masterful for that. And I also just love any movie that has like a theme park in it in any capacity. Yes. Yeah, that's like the most fun setting. So Absolutely. That's like a guaranteed four <laughs> stars at least already. I mean Chainsaws. We'll be right back on Extended Clip. You're my fave. <laughs> Me and Bubba, my little brother, we listen to you every night. <laughs> Music is my life. <laughs> you know, Malcolm, the leader of the segment. Are you good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I came prepared. Oh, did you? <laughs> <laughs> Unlike other people? Is that what you're no, implying? No, no, man. I can't be inquisitive <laughs> at you while I'm using this mic stand or I'm going to knock it over. Don't get into your, too into your head, man. Like, it's not, it's not like that. <laughs> <laughs> We're back on extended clip. It's Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm, wh- what'd you watch this week? You know what? I, I remember talking to JT one of these times about how much we like Joel McRae. And I was like, I should watch a Joel McRae movie because he's the man. And I saw he starred in a Western called Ramrod. And I was like, okay, Joel McRae, Ramrod. Ramming Rod? That sounds pretty good. <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> you found my thought process here. I was like, how did this motherfucker get that nickname? You know what I mean? And uh, to be honest, he does... Uh, <laughs> Instead of uh, him having sex, he actually learns that you can't do everything for a woman just because she asks you to. That's actually <laughs> kind of the lesson of the movie. But in you know less simple terms, it's a uh, uh, there's this this uh, woman Connie Dickerson who whose husband is being persecuted because he wants to bring in lambs to you know strictly cow town, and so he he runs out of town, and so now. She's looking to McRae to basically protect the sheep farm that she's trying to put in. And to be honest, it's like there's a war going on in the city. It's killing a bunch of people. It would just be a lot easier if she just did not open this fucking goat farm. (laughs) And uh, it takes a lot of people to die for Joel McRae to realize that. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to stop doing things for you because I'm attracted to you. And then he, uh, you know, he gets with uh, the righteous woman at the end. And, you know, I, I... that, that, you could listen to that and maybe see that's a endorsement or an indictment but i it was a fun movie i didn't love it completely but it, i mean there's just a lot of uh there's a good amount of fight scenes like i love seeing joel mccray get in a fight and you know there's a great scene where he's just walking off of his face bloodied and, and like i don't know like uh there's you know some some questionable interactions but like if you're looking for if you're a mccray head like me <laughs> You know, and you want to see this motherfucker in action, wield a gun, punch some people. It, it did the trick. It was a nice, you know, little uh, Monday evening relaxer. So, yeah, check it out. <laughs> Ramrod. JT, what about you? I rewatched Bob Fosse's All That Jazz uh, from 1979. Uh, I don't know. It's just like, I mean, aside from like the technical skill of like having a lot of really elaborately choreographed music uh as you would expect um it's just like a really disturbing a level of uh, self-awareness that's present in Mm -hmm. the movie i saw this like two years ago at a screening where i think it was like the ad was there and it was saying that uh fossey would like smoke 120 cigarettes a day (laughs) jesus And, and so it's just like i don't know like a guy making a movie about like a stage uh choreographer and director like probably going to die from smoking like being a thing is just like really intense and he is like i I don't know a lot of like uh artists trying to portray themselves 
will do it in, if not like a wholly positive light, at least like somewhat positive. Mm -hmm. And the representation of himself is just that like he is such a piece of shit who doesn't ever want to change. It's like, but fuck, am I good at like making a dance number? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really great. I mean, it's a masterpiece. Yeah, I don't know. I think that movie shows you if you if you are that way, you maybe shouldn't change because then he went on to take that hubris and made a great movie too. Yeah, exactly. And this wasn't even his last movie. He made another one after that. So Damn. hey, follow follow your nose. You know? <laughs> Never change. Never change. Cameron, have you been uh, following your nose to any good movies recently? Um. Yeah, I would say so. I. Uh... <laughs> I've been rewatching all of the Godzilla movies in chronological order over the past like year or so, just like very slow rewatching them. My most recent one was Godzilla 2000, um, which is it from 2000? No, it's from 1999. Um, but I love that movie. Uh, it's a lot of fun, and it's what makes it really fun is that it's a response to the really horrible American Godzilla movie from 1998 for the most part. Um, and I think it's it's really fun to see like the the Japanese filmmakers go okay no actually we're gonna do it again and we're gonna do it right because they hadn't made one in a minute and then they they make Godzilla 2000 which you know 98 used like a bunch of really shitty CGI like some just some of the worst special effects I feel like it's easy like nowadays to like look back at a movie at, from 1998 and go like oh well CGI was just sh- like shitty back then but it's like no they already had like Jurassic Park and stuff like it wasn't that bad <laughs> like that movie yeah. just sucked ass um <laughs> and then yeah Godzilla 2000 they like kind of kind of figure out how to use the CGI instead of just using it for everything they're like using it to show scale and do stuff that they just physically couldn't do with the suits. And then 2000 also just has like, I think one of the best Kaiju in the Godzilla series, which is Orga. Who's like the crazy, like failed Godzilla clone who like unhinges his jaw and tries to swallow Godzilla whole, which is just like one of the coolest things you could ever have in a movie, I think. And I, you know, honestly, yeah, it's very awesome. Highly recommend it. (laughs) I really don't have like too much, to say that's very deep about it besides just like yeah. there's a lot of cool monsters that fight in cool ways does it have any puff daddy songs like the 98 godzilla one had because I, I did like those songs <laughs> one that's, plus i had to give that movie yeah that's uh, the one the one good thing that came out of um godzilla 98 is they had that that version of brain stew by green day where it put godzilla roars in between the, the guitar riff because <laughs> that was sick as fuck Oh, man. That's worth it alone, to be honest. (laughs) But yeah, Godzilla 2008 takes a huge shit on that one any day. And so I I loved it just from that alone. Um, just last night I watched a romantic comedy by Howard Hawks, classic 1934 one called 20th century. Um, yeah. Every time I watch a Howard Hawks movie, you know, 
I say it's great and there's really not much more else to say. He's mm-hmm. like the perfect studio era director and had such a keen eye for like, uh, you know, good projects to work on. He essentially worked as an independent director uh, it, throughout most of his career. And 20th Century is so funny. It's it's John Barrymore and Carol Lombard. And John Barrymore is this like theater director. It's kind of like an all that jazz situation uh, where he's addicted to being an asshole to actresses. <laughs> and uh, he Carol Lombard like just puts up with his abuse until she becomes a success and then leaves him. And John Barrymore is just like totally flopping every play he puts on sucks and carol lombard has become a hollywood star and then he finds himself on a train with her and it's like an hour long of him just finding mischievous ways to manipulate her into signing a contract to work for him again and like he's also like I guess in love with her, but mainly just wants a contract from her. And uh, it goes to the extent of him like staging his death pretty much. Uh, And it's so funny because it's this like, yeah, it's a screwball rom-com with absolutely no romantic chemistry between the characters. It's really (laughs) just this horrifying uh, actor director relationship that goes in a million places and is really fun. Also, John Barrymore's mugging is ridiculous. I compared it to Frasier on Letterboxd. <laughs> I think that's like the only place you can go with his specific style of mugging in this movie. Uh, and it has a real happy ending. Well, that's <laughs> I'll good. just say that for those who <laughs> seek it out on their own. Um, Are there any lessons from this movie that you think you could apply to this century? Yes. Uh, so if you're shooting a <laughs> horror movie and you can't get a woman to scream right, you need to prick her with a thumbnail of, or a, a, a thumbtack. <laughs> you need to put a little uh, tack on her chair. Yeah, and yeah. It, it will become like a, it'll be it'll become a sentimental item for her that you know she holds on to throughout the rest of the movie. If you put, or the rest of your life, sorry. If yeah. you put it on the chair, it's technically not assault. Like if you prick them <laughs> directly, that's that's crossing the line. But it's like I didn't put the pin there. I didn't put it there. Right. And if you really need it, if you really need an actress to fart, you can put a whoopee cushion down too. <laughs> That's a good trick. You can whoopee, use. whoopee is legal, man. Whoopee's legal. <laughs> Let them know. We'll be right back. God damn motherfucker got blood all over my best clown suit. <laughs> And we're back on extended clip. That was a weird thing. I was exhaling while I was saying that whole sentence. I'm going to redo it. I think you're exhaling while you say most sentences. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of how you talk. (laughs) God damn it. Keep it in. Keep it in. Let's keep it rolling. (laughs) Can't take that gold out. Trying to breathe in while I'm saying it now. We're back. On extended, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, house, goddamn. Um, I got wrecked there on my own shit. Sorry. House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> that was disrespectful of me. <laughs> no, I was being disrespectful Someone to the human to anatomy. Place. Yeah. <laughs> um, the debut feature film by Rob Zombie from 2003's House of a Thousand Corpses, and you know we were talking about amusement parks on the last review, and this film came about while zombie was designing a scary maze for the universal studios theme park uh they got the uh, the halloween horror nights going on over there which i will admit i was too scared to attend in high school 
uh, and all the cool kids were or not even cool, just my friends were like, uh, "You gonna go to Halloween? Or you gonna go to Horror Nights?" And I was just like, "I can't afford a ticket." Uh, I can't afford a ticket. <laughs> and look how far you've come. Now you're watching horror movies. Yeah, I'm no longer scared. <laughs> I wonder how you get in a position to where people are like, hey, I need a scary maze design. Do you think you could you could do that for me? Can, I need something scary made. Yeah. I'm trying I'm trying to position myself with that career path, I would say. You gotta you gotta start a band with scary metal music videos. That's the only hope. I think we're apt like enough time has passed for a somewhat of like a new metal kind of thing and like revival kind of thing and I, I think horror aesthetics can be attached to that and i think within a year you're directing your debut feature for a major studio malcolm right. if we start a band today that is that's that's sick i've yeah. always i've always wanted to be cool yeah and in a band <laughs> so this is perfect for me i finally get to seize that opportunity um, but yeah, all did not go well, of course, because Universal uh, is kind of an evil studio sometimes. And uh, the film got, you know, shelved and Zombie had to buy the rights back. I'm so used to saying la- last names of directors and then I'm just referring to him as Zombie. But I will continue <laughs> to do so throughout this review. Uh, so Zombie had to buy the rights back and, uh, you know, finish it up himself. And they shot most of it at Universal Studios, shot some of it at a ranch in Valencia. And uh, yeah, it has this really weird look where it's almost in between a studio horror movie and a totally gonzo independent movie. Uh, Not that you can like differentiate when he had money to shoot and when he didn't. It's just that it's his clash of like really grimy aesthetics and also just being drawn to really beautiful cinematic compositions with like great, uh, a lot of colored gelled lighting. There's a lot of setups in this where it's like different color schemes in different parts of the frame even and using that to signify depth. And I don't know, stylistically, you know, I've seen a couple Rob Zombie movies, but rewatching this one and soaking in all of the choices he made, uh, it's such an insane debut. Absolutely. It's so fucking cool. Like the... Uh, it has, I think, one of my favorite like feelings that a movie can have, which is like the person who's making it is like, I have no clue if I'm ever gonna get to make another movie, so I better put like <laughs> everything in- into this one. Like all my ideas are going in here. All my like, all these these the the characters I thought of, they're all gonna be in here. All the music I want to be in a movie, it's all gonna be here. All the different colors that are gonna be in this movie. You know, it's such a such a fun. It's just like bursting at the seams. Uh, Malcolm, had you seen this one before? Yeah, it's. I saw it like maybe four or five years ago, and I, I remember not liking it. I remember finding it annoying, maybe, and maybe I've just become much more annoying. But I, I, I really, <laughs> I really do uh, like this movie a lot. And like you said, yeah, like it does have this feeling of yeah, like someone who doesn't know if they're you know going to make a movie again. But it also like. It has that exciting feeling of someone who had a lot of ideas going on in their head, a lot of visual schemes and things that they wanted to try out for their first movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he was experimenting with that in the music video realm, which which is obviously how he got, you know, the cool, scary maze job. Uh, (laughs) But like he, he was experimenting with like silent film aesthetics, even in his earlier music videos. And I think he just like throws splashes of that kind of stuff throughout this movie and just kicks it into extra high stylistic gear. There are these little like, kind of like scene transitions almost that build 
build into a longer uh, sequence of it later in the movie where it's all kind of fuzzed out. Like it looks digitally distorted and there's this like droning music under it and all the colors are super overexposed. It's almost like the colors in uh, like uh, In Praise of Love or other late Godard stuff where he's yeah. just cranking the saturation all the way up. And it's it's so insane. And just throwing those little two five second bursts in there uh really kind of jolt the viewer like in a way that's i don't know i guess it's kind of disorienting but it also feels very structural like it links these scenes together in a very interesting way well i mean i think there's so many different like textures to those images and like like they feel specific to particular things like you get a lot of like news footage like advertisements some of the ones like that you are talking about that sort of like interrupt scenes like a little bit that are like very digitally fuzzy those look like i don't know just like early internet like torture or like snuff (laughs) things that's just like I don't know. It make it makes the already pretty graphic stuff just like look sleazier and more disturbing. Doesn't he cut like some old movie footage in there too? Oh, yeah, a couple yeah. of them. Because yeah. there's an old movie playing on TV. Like the first thing you see is a classic horror host intro type thing, and uh, also then you see Sid Haig's uh, commercial for him selling his roadside attraction yeah, place, yeah. which yeah. is so great because you almost think like, all right, so we get all these crazy distorted old timey images and then it cuts right to the neon sign of his store for the first, like, I guess real image uh, of uh, the first image of a real scene in this movie. And it's this thing where there's like three different neon light sources and all of them are different colored and at different positions of like height and depth. And it's just such an insane shot to just, just, it's just a little exterior setup shot to show you his place and where the next, 10 minutes of the film are going to take place but it's so awesome yeah and to the um about talking about like uh the having like old movies on the tv a few times like this is i think this is how you can tell too that that rob zombie's like really in this is there's no like there's no hack like oh it's night of the living dead look whoa (laughs) like he's got he he the movies that are showing he's got the old dark house the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein, and The Monsters, which is you know his next movie that he's making right now. He's making like a reboot of The Monsters, which is just like I think those are such fun, perfect picks. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that also what makes this movie so great to me is that this is like a very referential movie, but it's not referential in the way that stuff is now. That's very annoying. That's coming out. Like, there's a lot of like referential especially to the 80s stuff that's like kind of made to just be like yo check this out remember this yo look at this this is crazy (laughs) right but we're actually doing it different now they they did get me because i do remember ghostbusters (laughs) so it's like you know it was like some of those those movies you named you know not you know some of the deeper cuts and it doesn't really like go out of his way to like you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, old dark house. This is what you should be. Wa-. Like, yeah, it, is, it, it is It is. very, like, you know, we keep saying Godard's name. It's like he's on his <laughs> Godard shit with this editing, just man. Just unsighted references yeah. and stuff. And it kind of, it's like kind of like Tarantino as well, but obviously it's not as imbued in the dialogue. It's more of just what you're shown uh, rather than characters talking about old movies or fucking... Uh, is it one of the Kill Bill movies where he's like talking about Superman for twenty minutes? Like you don't you don't get quite any of that. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, it it's so built on like pastiche and reference. But at the same time, obviously, Zombie has his own 
aesthetic sensibility that comes from his music career, even if his music career is so influenced by old horror movies, yeah. uh, that it's it's not simply nostalgia. It's totally him, you know, building out from that nostalgia and just throwing everything at the wall that he has, as we said. Yeah. A fun fact about him too is that actually he he like wanted to be a a director all along like he he originally wanted to be a director and then he decided to become a musician so that he could direct his own music videos and then like (laughs) became like a really successful musician and then like turned that into a movie career which is so crazy like that seems (laughs) like an insanely hard way to get into the industry but yeah, that's what in like a bunch of interviews he says like yeah, I, he I want to be a director as a kid, not a not a rock star. <laughs> that's so funny. That makes sense like when you listen to Dragula, it's kind of like a cinematic song, you know, it all just revolves around this one car or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like you know he's got some some schemes for some sick driving shots. Oh, absolutely. For the video, you know what I mean? <laughs> and you get some good ones in this, of course. There's classic uh, people who get killed that we don't care about necessarily driving around, uh, including Office Dwight doing a lot of... Yeah. Uh, oh doing a lot of mugging you know just waiting for him to get killed and there, there was a quote like in the struggles he had with universal with this uh a dispute over whether or not people care about teenagers that get killed in horror movies <laughs> and it's kind of funny that zombie doesn't like he just wants them to be funny yeah. objects until you really need to like they're in this one you have the connection of literally being forced to sit with these characters, go through the rigmarole for 90 minutes. It's not like Lords of Salem where you actually have an emotional core at the center of it. It's really yeah. a, uh, a really nasty movie in that regard. And that's why it's so successful. I mean, yeah. I think picking Rain Wilson and Chris Hardwick as two <laughs> characters, it's so just so perfect. easy to tap into yeah. them as the most annoying oh. people. And the girlfriends are not, are not much better. <laughs> <laughs> There's like one, the, what are the girlfriends? Like every line, she has is just like the worst. She's just being the worst. Wow, yeah. Malcolm. Uh, you you could pretend. You could pretend like you you don't. You feel different, but you know you feel the same way. As I do. <laughs> she was written that way. All right. <laughs> it's very. I mean, yeah, that thing too with you having like no connection to the characters, not caring at all. Is a, it's very much like it's a it's a scary maze movie. Like no, the movie yeah. itself. It's just it's a theme park ride. Like you're just like oh now. Now we're in the crazy the crazy shop world and now we're in the house world. Now we're in like the crazy underground science lab world. You know, it's just like you're just going through it and different guys are popping up and, and saying scary stuff and you're seeing like different stuff on the walls and like that's all it is. But it's done like so well that you don't care. Like you don't yeah you don't leave it thinking like oh i wish i cared about the characters more because like they're just <laughs> cool and fun <laughs> yeah i mean sid hey obviously amazing yeah. uh and the the first 15 minutes or so taking place in and around his store and the the murder tour that he gives them is so funny because it is just a walk through amusement park ride kind of thing and zombie leans so heavily into that aspect of of designing each of these sets and it just makes it such a fun time for that reason. And also, like, the way that things are built in the Texas Chainsaw Massacres uh, with human bodies and skulls and flesh is, like, it's nasty. But in this movie, Rob Zombie goes so ridiculously hard in building 
corridors full of corpses. I mean, it's in the fucking title, obviously, <laughs> but there are just like so many walls and cor- corridors that are just full of human flesh and bodies, and it's so disgusting. The it's it's so insane that we get we get this whole like movie that's already like insane and full of stuff and all these different aesthetics clashing like there's like you know the evil clowns and then it's also like oh some of these characters are like manson people like that's like their thing and then like oh this guy's like an old stupid grandpa and like you know and this now he's wearing like he's wearing corpse paint and he's an evil priest and it's just like all these different aesthetics just all coming together and you get like through all that and then it's like oh yeah also there's like an underground lab and there's cyborgs and we're gonna do like a my bloody valentine like it's so great like that that part even i've seen this movie so many times it still like catches me off guard of like oh yeah there's like still so much insane stuff that's gonna happen like and I'm like yeah it's there's just so much going on yeah in terms of like the structure of slasher movies usually it totally throws you for a loop every time you're expecting a familiar beat to come you know uh like uh, yeah Sid Haig does end up being like with the bad guys or whatever but like it's it's so ridiculous how he has his own isolated little story uh before they end up with the uh, Firefly family. The the teens end up with this, you know, evil Texas Chainsaw-like family. And then halfway through almost, uh, the two cop characters are introduced, one of them being Walton Goggins, you know, yeah. kind of donning his uh, the shield type role as the number two in command cop uh, who, you know, wiles out, but then also <laughs> has to pay the consequences a little bit. Uh, and it, it makes it feel like, oh, this is the part where the police get involved and it becomes a procedural with slasher killings from here on out. But it totally doesn't. It just changes like environments three more times and introduces the Dr. Satan is real idea. And then Dr. (laughs) Satan has his crazy labyrinth of, yeah, like I can't even describe what is going on uh, in that environment. And Zombie shoots it very obscured and the characters are so fucked up at that time that, of course, they have no idea how to process any of this either. No, yeah, the movie's like so discursive and like, it's like style and it's like plot to where it's like when the cops show up, it is just like, you know, the way they get killed, especially, you know, the kind of like the, the trio of stylistic killings that happen there are like, you know, they're super impressive. And it is just like, yeah, it is like zombie is very quick to kind of abandon these teen characters, you know, in search of something more interesting. And like, it fits with everything and just like how cruel this movie is like, you know, for, you know, to find the things like everything that's funny here is like, you know, just being completely brutal and awful to another person and how, <laughs> how the extremity of that is like kind of funny or whatever. Like even how like, um, Sid Haig and him talking to the friend, how they, you know, they're talking, um, you know, they're just talking very mean and spitefully, you know, in a way, t- you know, talking about a man they know with a masturbation addiction or whatever. Oh, yes. And, yeah. and it, it is. And it's just like it really cues you into like um, the emotional through line of this movie. It's, you know, it's funny to be cruel to people. Yeah. yeah. Like the, they, they have in common that they know the guy uh, that hangs out across the street with a disability yeah. and an addiction. <laughs> can uh, roast him anytime they want and that's some common ground you can reach with some people all i want to do is eat and fuck well like if you know him you might understand his urges uh, worse than a rabid ass baboon yeah you know what his favorite thing is next to whacking this weasel 
takes a sharpened pencil and sticks it in his eyeball and twists it. What? He doesn't hurt himself, though. He kind of twists it right next to his eyeball. Huh? <laughs> he been putting that pencil someplace other than his eyeball. Nah, he don't do nothing like that. Although once he got caught, you know, uh, with a Planet of the Apes doll stuck up his asshole. <laughs> You mentioned too when he kills the when um Otis kills the cops, uh, mm-hmm. Rob Zombie just king of the needle drop, perfect oh, yeah. needle drop every time. I have, like this, literally every time a song comes on on one of his movies, I'm like, oh yeah, no, perfect, it, that's it. <laughs> like this one, that 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 one specifically when when he they kill the first two cops and then the song like fades out and it's just um. Bill Mosley holding a gun to Walton Goggins' head, and it just zooms out, and it's just total silence for like twenty seconds, <laughs> and then it just like this huge gunshot. It's like so so cruel and nasty just to let it hang that long is insane. Like, yeah, I mean that shot's played in slow motion too, which is so crazy, you know, because that that pause before he shoots him is obviously so exacerbated or whatever, but like then the actual gore, uh, the gore effect and, you know, Goggins hitting the floor is so slow. And then it like so slowly fades, like uh, dissolves into that next shot, which yeah. is just a kind of obscure landscape shot with a really red sky, I think. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Zombie is just all over the place in this movie. There, there's so much good stuff going on. Uh, obviously, they uh no, no one survives <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny it's just like they all get trapped there's a final girl type thing where she gets away and sid haig picks her up and you're like oh maybe the old uh the old crazy clown guy is actually as good as he uh promised in the beginning <laughs> but of course not and uh yeah i think this is just a great movie i liked it a lot more this time than last time i watched it i'm going to give it four bullets uh you know four corpses for this I movie. was waiting for oh, that nice. I was waiting for that <laughs> that's the new thing now we're switching it up uh what we rate things out of once in a while once when I feel like it we will okay. abandon the bullets uh JT what about you um I'm gonna go four and a half corpses I just love the frantic like energy and like showmanship that's on display three big set pieces that are like all like spectacle like right from the beginning when you get Sid Haig doing the like actual little like tour through the museum stuff. And then you get that the family doing their vaudeville act with just leading in with the grandpa, like just oh, shouting, like, eat your wife's pussy. Yeah. <laughs> that is so good. I was laughing so fucking yeah. hard. At that Dude, that that's some great material right there. That's like Reddit slash stand up shots. Uh, that guy's got to get his bits on there. Great little story. Eat your wife's pussy. That's that's big nowadays, you know. I don't know when this was made, maybe, but eating pussy, everyone's talking about that nowadays. <laughs> so it's, yeah. so horrorcore comedy might be like a way to, to look into things, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just be really scary and funny on stage. And I think it's also interesting to like see where like the two other zombie movies that I've seen, uh, Lords of Salem and uh, Halloween, 
I think like occupy a different space with his like wife guy fetish yeah. fetishization of Sherry Moon Zombie. And it's interesting to see with his like first feature here, him sort of figuring out how he's gonna like show off how much he loves his wife. Because a lot of those like interludes in between are just her being sexy with knives, rubbing up on skeletons. And I think like he he builds that out like with the later characters that she portrays. It is funny like you're with like the Hardwick and Rain Wilson crew and then like she shows up and it's like a completely different energy. You know what I mean? I think the way like she's presented, you know, amongst the cast, like really uh, increases, you know, her likability or whatever. It's just like after you hear like 10 minutes of like Rain Wilson and Hardwick <laughs> yeah, banter. Going, like back cool beans. Cool beans. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she, she's she's underrated. I, I wish she would do like other stuff besides zombie movies. Maybe she does. I haven't really looked into it. But look, man, I you know I've told you this so many times. It's just like Hardwick's one of our colleagues in podcasting, <laughs> and you can't just like throw guys under the bus like that when they're essentially your coworker. Hey, you know, I he was he was like like with uh, the other character, he was written annoying. So he he did he did a good job acting annoying. When in real life, we know he's a. He's a big old sweetheart. Oh so yeah, he he's always never... been. He, he's played the annoying character every time he's been on screen or held a microphone in his life. But of course, as a man, you know, uh, no uh, score, Malcolm. I I'm gonna go four and a half corpses too because it is like the compactness of this movie mixed with kind of like zombie throwing everything at the wall like i i don't know it is like i'm a sucker just for like the split screen stuff he does and like the oh, amusement yeah. park or even like during her like uh sexy sherry moon zombies ultra sexy betty boop performance <laughs> or whatever just like cutting to like rain wilson and hardwick like being like oh oh yeah okay okay <laughs> and like uh and uh really really funny movie and like uh just some good high energy shit really put me in a good mood what about you? I'm going for I'm going for five corpses out of five. I I love this movie. Um, I think uh, I think part of what I love about it so much is that it's pastiche because I love pastiche because pastiche is just a lot of stuff that I like together. So <laughs> <laughs> what's not to like about that? Um, so true. But it just feels like it's so. I think Rob Zombie. You mentioned you like mentioned Tarantino before. I think he absolutely is like the Tarantino of horror. That he's like he knows what's good and he's going to like bring it all together. You know, like he, he, he's going to watch all the, the old movies so you don't have to or whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) that's yeah, not, not the nostalgia critic different. Um, (laughs) but (laughs) like, he's also the nostalgia critic of horror movies. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe a little bit. Um, I love that all the characters in the Firefly family feel like they're from like different types of horror movies. Like I kind of said it before, but like Otis and 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 Baby are like feel like Manson cult members, and like Tiny is like a Leatherface guy, and then um, a Mother Karen Black's character, she just like is like this like Southern Belle that like floats into the room every time, and like. It's it's God. then the grandpa's just like a dumb guy who wants dessert too. <laughs> so many, the grandpa like, rules. All, yeah, the grandpa kicks ass. Um, and yeah, just you know, every every area, like every set they go to, has its own unique character. Every character has its own like unique, you know, set of mood and tone. It's on display when they're yeah. on screen. It's just it's it jumps all over the place, but not in a way that feels disjointed. Is and what I love s- about it. 
you said something about the split screen earlier, uh, Malcolm, and yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that where it's either split screen or you'll have like goggle vision kind of thing where it's like that irised, uh, like circular split screen. And there's also something that happens, I, I think two times, maybe, maybe just one longer scene where he seemed to shoot a scene with two different lighting setups and was cutting back and forth uh, between the two very distinct, colorful lighting setups. And like, there's so much just like du- duality in this film that I'm not really sure where it's going, but it always just presents all these interesting aesthetic ideas. Um, also, we would be remiss not to mention uh, the red hot pussy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what's it called? Red hot pussy liquors. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite <laughs> band. Is the Red Hot Pussy Peppers? <laughs> I like that scene because it, it it like it they just it just exists for it's just funny the name of the liquor store and then just Sherry Moon Zombie is just a fucking dickhead to the the goober cashier and that <laughs> yeah. that's pretty much it and it's it's hilarious. The thing about the the two different lightings that you mentioned, I was reading about this earlier. It's because he was shooting. Um, he shot two versions of some stuff like that was like gorier and like less gory to like appease universal and then he just like ended up cutting between them a lot of the time so you have like these weird like parts where it like cuts between neon lights that were trying to make the gore look more fucked up and then like cutting back to white lights you know that's cool i think that's gonna wrap up our discussion of house of a thousand corpses lastly extended clip podcast at gmail.com is where you can always email us and this week our email is from Laura Jacobus. The subject line is Pride Month. Um, okay, this is a, I have to zoom in. This is a long one. Hi, boys. Extended clip listeners will know that you are three straight white guys who... Okay, making some assumptions there. Uh, <laughs> Let's wait till the 23 and me comes back and we'll see. I mean, I know we're not like that outward with our personal lives, but it's not exactly the case. Hi, boys. Extended Clip listeners will know that you are three straight white guys who spend a lot of time jokingly calling each other gay. Again, not the case. Not jokingly. <laughs> Let me start this again. You're so combative with this one. <laughs> Hi, boys. Extended Clip listeners will know that you are three straight white guys who spend a lot of time jokingly calling each other gay. Your listenership is filled with queer people, including myself. So for some reason, we've all just kind of given you a pass. Knowing that you're allies at heart and seeing that it's Pride Month, I would love to know what you all think are some of the best and or hottest depictions of queer love on film. I particularly like a couple movies that have two male roommates who think that they're straight guys (laughs) and give in to passion when the moment arises. Thank you and happy Pride from Laura. Well, thank you for the email, Laura. That'd be sick if you guys did start having sex with each other. Just oh, I, like, <laughs> I thought, I thought of, she was talking of, about like movies specifically. Like that was a subgenre and not about me and JT. Oh, I think like you know, it would be an, oh, the okay. dynamic on the podcast would be so interesting if we were hiding True. that we were lovers. I'd feel, I kind of feel like I got to get my lover on mic too then. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> like you guys are in love with each other and I'm just like, I'm just not on that wavelength. Just feel like, you know, it's. Yeah, it'd be interesting for sure. So, Malcolm, what's the <laughs> best or hottest gay sex hottest, you've ever seen in a movie? Gay sex. I, I unfortunately have not seen a lot of hot gay sex in movies. I wow. might need to remedy that. Um, but two two movies that came to mind once the question was asked. I love uh, My Private Idaho. Great fucking movie. And uh, I Don't Want to Sleep Alone. It's one of the most kind of like a uh, siming lang from like 06 very like uh kind of like his most romantic movie in a way i would say 
and of, of course it's still devastating <laughs> of course you know what i mean it's, he's not gonna you know it's not it's not a, a walk in the park necessarily but uh uh i don't know like it, it uses kind of like uh some great like uh you know as uh, he tends to do like you know great use of like people who are isolated and them finding relief finally you know in like uh, finding someone and it uh it takes a while for them you know to get to that place but like once you know these characters are kind of at peace with you know their their arrangement their sexuality or whatever one of the most amazing ending shots i've ever seen that really kind of hammers home that feeling so uh yeah, one of my favorite Simon Lang movies. So that, that's my answer. Yeah, to stay on the Simon Lang topic, obviously, uh, Days, his newest one, has an incredible oh, uh, oh, how erotic I, massage scene. That scene's fucking hot as shit. How can I, <laughs> how can I forget about that one? That scene made yeah, Malcolm actually gay. Uh, yeah, JT, for what real. about you? FR, dude. Um, I was going to mention Days as well, but I also have another uh, Van Sant, Mala Noche. Um, it's his debut, and it's like about... Uh, an American man who's in like he's fucking like this Mexican like teen and it's like I wouldn't say the sex is hot it just explores like a weird like <laughs> transactional like kind of relationship where it's like I don't know it's it's certainly questionable that he's like ta- uh, the American is like taking advantage of this Mexican uh, like teen a little bit and uh, coercing him into the relationship but a really hot uh, gay movie or i mean i wouldn't call it oh god jt's stepping into dangerous territory <laughs> i mean a movie with some hot gay stuff is showgirls oh yeah um yeah i mean there's like it's like intense and chaotic and psycho but all of the like lead female like stuff where it's like they become like obsessed they, they basically become each other that's uh i don't know it's pretty hot. hey dude lesbians that's cheating man cameron any any favorite uh queer cinema comes to mind i've never seen a sex scene in a movie i cover my eyes so i would <laughs> <laughs> I think that's probably the correct approach. You'll probably be better for that. Uh, in terms of like not just talking about sex scenes, I think she, Laura may have just been kind of joking around. Um, in terms of just like queer romance movies, obviously Wong Kar Wai's Happy Together comes to mind as well. And uh, and how could I not mention the cruising attempts in Goodbye Dragon Inn as well as the movie Cruising? Yeah, cruising, cruising is sick. There's a great se- oh, and speaking of cruising, a uh, pantyhose hero by Sammo Hung. Uh, not exactly like a uh, a Pride Month classic, yeah. <laughs> but it is the movie where Sammo Hung basically does cruising, where he goes undercover uh, as a gay man uh, uh, to find a killer. So check out pantyhose hero. <laughs> I also want to shout out, you know, probably doesn't, probably not the right movie to bring up when you know with this question, but there's a scene in Tightrope directed by Richard Tuggle, starring Clint Eastwood, where. Uh, He's in a gay bar and a gay man's asking, it's like, you know, why did, are you so sure you're straight? You know, you, you know, you know, you might be gay. You never know. He's like, trust me, I tried it out. <laughs> so that's, that's pretty sick. Seeing some, you know, progressive values from old Clint. Nice. That's well, I think that's a good note to end on um, next week. Oh shit. It's my turn and I haven't picked out the movies. So, you know, uh, See you next week. But uh, uh, li- listen to podcast about list. Uh, Cameron, anything else you want to plug? Thank you again for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. That's that's pretty much it. Podcast about list. That's all I do. <laughs> Don't worry about anything else. <laughs> <laughs>